Welcome back, podcast listeners. This is Dan again, hosting. I'm here with uh, Michelle and Paul. And uh, our topic today is pretty interesting. It's uh, one of those topics that during one of my recent therapist workflow training uh, in an acquisition, the uh, therapist was the former business owner and kind of stated, huh, if I don't know this information when I started my clinical practice, I may not have had to end up selling. Welcome to Therapists in Motion podcast, brought to you by Spooner Physical Therapy. All right. Well, I think that was a pretty good teaser into our topic today. Uh, we're still in the process of figuring out this new fancy equipment that we bought, and I think you will drastically hear a improvement in audio quality if we remember to stay close enough to the microphone. <laughs> Minor detail, but yes, I think we can handle it. It's way better. Yes. It's way better. All right. So topic today is uh, one that might sound dull and boring to some people. But, but Dan, you called it interesting at the start. <laughs> you can't let them down now after your intro. Uh, it's really about understanding CPT codes and how that allows us to differentiate what the services that we provide with our patients. Uh, it actually helps support our clinical documentation. And surprisingly enough, it makes our clinical documentation easier uh, so it, it, it's something that every time when I do therapist workflow training uh, with our new therapist here at Spooner PT, we cover, and I've probably trained 40 new therapists in my tenure, and I've only had two therapists fully understand this, uh, which is a little disturbing that we aren't getting this anywhere. And You mean like in school? Yeah, and as well as during our clinical rotations. I mean, most of the time, uh, those students are billing just with their, whatever their CI was billing. And, well, that guess goes to show that our CIs don't really know the differentiation between the appropriate CPT codes. Now, before we get too far into it, we're really going to focus on three CPT codes, which are really active CPT codes. We're not really going to talk about manual therapy or some of the less utilized codes. Uh, we're going to focus most of our attention on Therex, Neuro, and Theract. So, Michelle, as the most seasoned therapist at the table today, can you give me that a... That means old. <laughs> the <laughs> oldest. Seasoned. Wise. Uh, do you know, by chance, the definition of neuromuscular re-education? Mm, I certainly don't know it today, and I'm not sure that I ever knew it. <laughs> no. No. Um, Enlighten me, Dan. Uh, and unfortunately, that is not an uncommon occurrence. So neuromuscular re-education, by definition from our official AMA CPT code book, is neuromuscular re-education of movement, balance, coordination, kinesthetic sense, posture, and or proprioception for sitting and or standing activities. Paul, does that cover a lot or a little? It covers a whole host of a lot of stuff. It covers darn near about everything we do every day, including manual therapy. Right. So wait, what did we learn at school together? And this is by no means a poke at Creighton. Uh, balance or significant neurological deficits such as post-stroke. That's many, about when it's used. How many of those people do we have in our clinic? Well, in the winter, balance is a lot of people because we have a high number of individuals that come in from out of state to a warmer climate. But otherwise, no, not, not a huge piece of the population. Yes. But no, not a huge piece of our patient care. But probably a huge 
piece of what we should be doing based on what our treatments are looking like, correct? Most definitely. Just walking around and watching what's done, there's a lot of neuro rehab happening in every clinic every day. Okay. Trivia question. B. Can a technician bill for... Can we bill for a techni- technician services under neuromuscular re-education? Do, 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 do. What do you got? Depends on the insurance company... That is correct, yes. <laughs> so in general, um, yes, a, a technician who has been provided uh, a direct uh, activity to perform or exercise to perform with the patient can be no re-ed if the therapist documents appropriately for why that is being performed. And if but the again, tech has been trained appropriately. Yeah, with everything we delegate, we have to make sure that we are delegating it to the appropriate individual who is capable of carrying out said task. Um, but that being said... You can bill for it as long as, just as Michelle said, it's an insurance that allows that to happen. Obviously, Medicare is the simple one. We know that assistive personnel time is not one that you can bill for. And, of course, there are other insurances that follow similar rules. And it could differ based on where you work. So you got to look at your contracts. That's a good question for your billing team and or directors. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah, I think that's, that's huge for people to understand. All right. Second code. Therapeutic exercise. Anybody want to take a guess on what the definition according to AMA is on that? I think you should just tell us. All right. So therapeutic procedure to develop strength and endurance, range of motion, and flexibility. Hmm. That sounds fairly broad. Would you agree? Yep. Again, probably covers darn near about every single thing that we do. Might be harder to stick some of the manual techniques into this, but for the most part, yes, (laughs) a lot. Now, the last one, and the one that probably has the most gray area surrounding it, therapeutic activity. Uh, I'm guessing this is the one that people think they know, but probably don't. But it's also the most vague code because it's therapeutic activities using direct one-on-one patient contact by the licensed provider to use dynamic activities to improve functional performance. The ings, as everyone I've heard from school likes to define it as. Yeah, so I I think it's valuable for our listeners to hear us discuss um, how you can differentiate each of those codes based on what the purpose of the exercise is. So let's just do a quick example. I want everybody to picture you have a patient that comes in with limited shoulder active range of motion to, let's say, 120 degrees. You put them on the table. Lying supine, of course, because that's the most common place to do shoulder mobilizations, limit the, the mobility of the thoracic spine, which is a great idea. <laughs> not, it's uh, not an important part of shoulder no, motion. No, not at all. Um, but <clears throat> you do a inferior glenohumeral joint mobilization, grades two, three, and four. The patient gets off the table and now has 150 degrees of range of motion. We take the person over to the pulleys. How are you going to bill for their time on the pulleys? I would say pretty much everyone's probably thinking their exercise. Is that the only option? No. There's a lot of options. Can you discuss how you would differentiate and charge neuro versus therex in that situation? So neuro, if we're trying to re-educate a movement pattern, is one that could definitely be addressed. Uh, In all honesty, I would have a very difficult time justifying a pulley as performing said exercise. Um, But even that being said, one could argue that 
if Dan takes this patient and improves their range of motion from what they initially were, and then we have them go through the new range of motion and we are educating the appropriate muscle firing, you're doing exactly what NeuroReEd is based on. Maybe you even add a weight-bearing component to it, which you're starting to get some additional joint feedback for positional stability sense. So yes, there's a number of ways you could do a very simple exercise, a pulley, a wall walk, a overhead cane. That could be argued as NeuroReEd, depending on how you justify it and document it. Right. So the exercise could look the same, Mm -hmm. and as long as your documentation is justifying what code you're billing, that's appropriate? Exactly. And in all honesty, you might find that this individual needs to perform this same exercise for four straight sessions, and you might build something different over those four sessions. Just because the exercise didn't change doesn't mean purpose of said exercise can't change as well. So you're never locked into one. You might feel that then the muscle firing patterns are appropriate and the joint is moving the way that it should, but there's still an end range motion to improve. So maybe you change it over to a third exercise because you're just trying to get some additional movement. It all depends upon your purpose and your skilled thought process. Sounds like connecting it to the why. Why are you doing it? Yeah, that is exactly correct. Uh, All right, now let's take a different exercise. So we are going to take a one-pound weight, and we're going to place it on a shelf. What are our options to bill that exercise? Yes. Yeah, I I mean, (laughs) I think that's the one where therapists can really see that that could be one of all three of those easily a therax, easily a therax. It makes sense. You you know, your purpose could be simply to develop strength um the second one could be you know well i'm i'm going to increase increase that kinesthetic sense and proprioception into that joint complex by giving an external load with a you know one pound weight and the third one could be well that could be little miss jones's goal to reach into her cabinet with a dinner plate which weighs you know one to two pounds and now with a some sort of purposeful functional task directed by me the licensed therapist I could bill it as therapeutic activity. And that's always the one that people have a hard time with, like Dan said. And he actually used, whether knowingly or not, an extremely important word there, goal. Before you can ever bill Theract, there are two things that you have to have done in your initial evaluation. One, documented a deficit on said functional task. And two, documented a goal for the functional task. So if little Miss Jones does not have some sort of deficit required or documented that is needed, it might be as simple as shoulder flexion, so that she can't reach high enough to reach the shelf, but it has to be documented, and there has to be a goal for her to reach and place an object. Might be weighted, might not be weighted. But if those two things are not present, when an insurance company looks at your note, they will not pay you for your Theract, regardless of how well you may or may not have documented it. And I should throw in there when I said initial eval, you could always obviously do a reevaluation of progress note. You could change your goals at any time, and that would count as well. I don't expect you on your day one of rotator cuff repair to uh, go crazy on goal compliance for all sorts of functional activities when you're passive range only, but it needs to be stated in the note in the plan of care at some point. So which one of these codes typically, at least in the state of Arizona, with our payer contracts, gets reimbursed at the highest rate? Fair act nearly every time, all the time. Followed by? Self-care ADLs, which we're not talking about, but that is normally the (laughs) the next most common (laughs) just because it is. So y'all know that now. Well, and then the third is NeuroReEd, followed by? Their X. Well, mm. what do we know gets billed 90% of the time at outpatient physical therapy practices? 
Three well, Therax, one manual, probably. <laughs> and yep. an e-stem, right? <laughs> so, well, does that... Is that really talking about what we're doing with our patient and differentiating our unique and diverse skill set? Because one manual three therax to me doesn't sound like we're really differentiating what we're doing with a patient. Now, granted, there may be times that therax is 100% necessary, and that may be the only thing that is 100% necessary at that point in time, but you should be going through a clinical reasoning process to say, this is why I'm doing Therax and not neuro or Theract. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, a listener might say, well, wait a minute. Well, if one manual and three Therax is a relatively quote unquote affordable, why would I want to charge my patient more? It's a good question. Why would I want to charge my patient more? Well, do you value yourself as a treating practitioner, as a member of the healthcare world, as a skilled Healthcare provider? Hello. They should. I'm asking you. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And ultimately, too, you're doing what you feel your patient needs to improve, and you're doing everything that is most effective and efficient. You're doing nothing extraneous. So you should bill appropriately for what you're providing and what that patient needs. How does that fact that we're charging more what does that look like in perception of the medical realm oh well gosh i see it as two ways to look at it so charging more um we're not charging more just to charge more as paul said um you're that's a really interesting or really important point for our listeners to know we're not charging more just to charge more no no not at all what differentiation of cpt codes is is being more specific about what you're doing with your patient, why you're doing it, connecting it to being a skilled practitioner and getting your patients to reach their goals. Um, I I think what we've done in our profession for a long time is we've gotten lazy and we've gotten complacent. It's really easy to just go through a busy day and charge the same thing. And while three therics and one manual might be appropriate, it's not totally valuing the time, the skill, the effort, the um, profession, the knowledge, and all those things that you're putting into getting your patient to function better. Um, And the simple part of that is, as a practitioner, don't we all want to get paid more? Well, yeah. As employees, you want to get paid more. Um, And we'd like to get paid more from the payers as a company, but it's not just about that either. As we're sending more patients to therapy and as neuromusculoskeletal experts, we want consumers to come to PT first. That is going to increase the cost of physical therapy, but ultimately that will lower the cost of overall healthcare. And that's in the musculoskeletal realm. Now I'm not going to go any further on that today, but We are going to bring Tim Spooner in on one of our next podcasts. This is something that he's very passionate about in the PT first world. Get patients to therapy first. Why send them for MRIs and injections and put them on opioids before they come see us? Okay, I'm off my soapbox and back to CPT differentiation. 
Well, I want to talk for a second about the three Therax one manual. And I think a lot of people probably do it because it's simple. It's easy. It takes less thought. You're just getting in your documentation done. And sometimes you think that simplicity is going to not get questioned, not get asked upon by insurance mm. companies. Why? Exactly. Mm. <laughs> we got Dan the buzzer, and he is correct. I have seen plenty of denials where they are saying, well, you've been doing Therax forever, but why is this skilled? Why couldn't this be performed by a caregiver? by an independent home exercise program. What's the progression? So even if you're showing progression, it does not guarantee that you're providing a skill. There are a number of health professions that can prescribe exercise legally and is within their scope of practice. How do we as neuromuscular movement specialists prescribe the exercise and what is the purpose behind the exercise and why do they need our actual one-on-one supervision or assistive personnel supervision to perform appropriately to get the benefits they want? So sometimes being simple and doing Three Therax, one manual, doesn't get you paid, period, in any capacity. It only gets you questioned by the insurance company. Yeah, and I think that probably the vast majority of our listeners don't understand that component. Because no. they may never get that feedback from their business owner or from their mentor to understand that, wait, those four dates of service that you just did, you now didn't really get paid for. So that's a big problem and when we start to actually understand the the cpt codes and what they mean and yes there is some gray area there but we actually take the the time to understand why we're doing what we're doing and connect it like michelle was saying as well as connect it to something that we found as a deficit in their their initial valuation and we've tracked it as a goal that's actually going to mean that there's a greater likelihood that we're going to get paid and keep the money for the services that we've provided, Mm -hmm. which I mean, that's the ultimate goal for anybody in business is to keep the money that you actually, you know, delivered services for. Um, You know, one thing I really want to make sure that we highlight here is this podcast is really about understanding the differentiation of the codes and how it, speaks to what the value of PT and our expertise is. This is not about going out and charging more. Innately, by understanding the CPT codes, you will charge more. But guess what? You're going to be doing a much more accurate representation of the services that you are providing, which is the most important thing for our profession to understand moving forward. And I promise you it will save you time in the long run, too, as I more and more in finding myself having to educate therapists on why they've received a denial and what their letter of medical necessity should state. Believe me, as much as we don't like documentation and you don't want to spend an extra couple minutes adding additional justification to the skilled services you're providing, those extra couple of minutes are dwarfed by how long it will take you (laughs) to write a letter of medical necessity and do the research and find the information you need and cross your fingers and hope you actually get paid for the time that you provided that individual. Like Dan said, there are so many more factors that come into this. You have multiple procedure payment reductions. This is not designed to how do I just send the most dollars out the door. This is designed to show the skill we provide. And most importantly, too, it will save you time. You spend a little more time on the front end of your documentation, you will not be questioned on the back end nearly as often. Very good. Good discussion. Well, thanks, guys, for joining me again. um, I got a question for you, Dan, just because I want to talk about this real quick. Okay. Third activity. We mentioned it very briefly, but we didn't talk about what, what it, it actually is. is. We talked about what it has to be there at the start, but what does it look like? We talked about the ings, but is it just ings? Well, that's kind of what I was taught was it was just throwing, pushing, pulling, punching, stepping. 
but I'm guessing there's more to that. And like I said, with their exercise, I'm seeing more and more insurance companies saying, well, you didn't show the skill that was provided. Why can this be a home program? Insurance companies are wising up to the fact that the highest paying CPT code is their act. It's supposed to be a one-on-one direct code with the therapist only, and they're expecting a higher level out of it. And so they're seeing documentation that says walked with the patient, lifted with the patient, whatever we did that was the actual therapeutic activity, the specific functional activity. And that's not enough. That's not enough anymore. So that will result in a denial. No payment. You need to talk about what is the purpose, what is the impairment that you're addressing, which is also a nice benefit because a lot more things actually function as their activities than I think anyone here really realizes. Let's take gait for an example. Walking, I think, is the easiest one that we can talk about this. Now, you could just walk with your patient, and if you're addressing specific deficits while you're walking, good, that's fine. However, maybe your patient came in and they have a weight-bearing issue. I don't mean they have a weight-bearing precaution by their surgeon. I mean they just actually do not have the ability to fully bear weight on their right lower extremity. So maybe you start them out by doing weight shifts side to side to facilitate improved weight bearing. Since weight bearing is, last time I checked, a requirement for the performance of gait and walking, and you are doing an activity that is directly going to influence and improve their ability to walk, you are technically doing a therapeutic activity. Your weight shift is a therapeutic activity. When I can promise you in school, you think that something as simple as that is never a therapeutic activity. As long as it's directed by the therapist. Directed by the therapist. And of course, this has to sum up to eight minutes. So please do not do eight minutes worth of weight shifts. But if you're doing enough activities that are going to facilitate the impairment for the functional activity that you have documented, and eight minutes typically is what we're looking at here, you're going to be able to build therapeutic activities for a number of the exercises you are performing and providing for your patient. Great yeah. tip. Yeah, that's a that's a really in-depth and probably much more thorough understanding of therapeutic activity than probably anybody has heard in a really long time. So thanks, Paul, for that. Um, do you have any more questions before we wrap it up? I got plenty of questions, but I'm going to save those for another podcast so we can move on. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Um, as always, if you guys have any feedback or questions or new topics for us, Uh, please don't hesitate to email us at therapistsinmotion at spoonerpt.com. 